leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. And everything we do and everything we talk about, we want to flow through that mission statement. And so whether it's going through the book of John or whether going through our vision statement, whether our small groups or whether our ministries, everything comes back to that mission, leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. And we know this isn't a new concept, right? It's what Jesus has left us with, that we are to be on this mission. We are to take this message of who he is and what he has done to all the world, to the ends of the earth, to all nations. So that's what we want to be about. So we were going through the Gospel of John, and if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there, John chapter 12. It is in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. John chapter 12. What we love about the book of John, if you go back to our first week when we were talking about John, Austin Temperley was speaking, and he took us to John chapter 20. John 20. Let me see if I can see it enough to get it up there. John 20 says this, John 20, 31. These words were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is it, isn't it? This is the point. This is what we want to grasp. We talk about our mission statement. It all comes back to this. Why are we going through the book of John? It's so that we may understand, so we may know Jesus. We may have come to a belief and a trust in him and in his name. And by believing, we may have life. And life and life to the fullest. He says throughout the Gospel of John that we could have this eternal life, that by believing in his name, today this eternal life begins. And if there's one thing we want you to grasp and there's one thing we want you to understand, it's this, that knowing Jesus Believing in Jesus, trusting in Jesus, you believing in him, you may have life in his name. And so we go through the book of John, the gospel of John. This is what we want you to grasp. This is what we want you to understand. Because if, if you don't get this, the rest of it is really pointless. Our mission statement, leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't get this, that mission statement is kind of pointless. So it's been awesome as we've had the opportunity. We, we spent about three months in the book of John till about a month ago. Now we're going to go in here the next month and kind of finish up through the book of John. John chapter 12 is where we are today. John 12 says this, six days before the Passover. Six days before the Passover. Here's where we are. We are in the final week of Jesus' life. This is key. The first 11 chapters through, through uh, the book of John, we've, we've spent a lot of time seeing and going through the ministry of Jesus. But now, we are in the final week, and the last half of John deals with this final week. So six days before the Passover, if you know what the Passover is, it's the time when they were freed, right, uh, from Egypt. They'd spent 400 years in captivity in Egypt, the Passover happens. He passes over the oldest child. The nation is free, and now they are celebrating that and continue to celebrate this Passover feast. This gives us a picture of how long Jesus' ministry was. If you go and you look in John chapter 2 and in John chapter 6 and now in John chapter 12, we see the ministry of Jesus span over these three years. 
All right, John chapter 2 is first Passover. John chapter 6, the second one. And now in John chapter 12, we see Jesus' ministry in the third Passover. So this gives us a picture of how long the ministry of Jesus lasted. One, two, three years over these Passover feasts. So here we are, the final week of Jesus' life. And much of the last portion of John deals with this final week. And it gives us a lot of rich truth about Jesus and who he is. So six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany. I don't know, Adam, if you can throw that slide up there. I lost it on my phone, sorry. Uh, One more, next one. Here's kind of a picture of where Bethany is. You can kind of see it, Jerusalem. It's right to the east. We've showed you this map a few times as we've gone through the book of John, so you've understood. One day I'm going to get this thing right. So you can kind of understand where we are in terms of where all this is taking place. So we are now in Bethany. Now there's some significant things that have happened in Bethany. In fact, if you go back one chapter, and when Nick spoke, oh, it must have been four or five weeks ago, going through John chapter 11, the story of Lazarus. And many of you know this story of Lazarus, right? Lazarus is sick, he's dying, Martha, Mary, distraught, wanting Jesus to show up so he can intervene. Well, Jesus takes a little time in showing up, and we know that Lazarus dies, right? Eventually, Jesus shows up in Bethany, and what does he do? He raises Lazarus from the dead. And because of this story of Lazarus, many people, as we're going to find out, began to turn and follow Jesus because of the story of Lazarus, on account of Lazarus and what has happened in his life, where Jesus has taken once what was dead and made alive. And we're going to see that more here in a little bit. So here's what's happened. He's now returned to Bethany here in the final week in this story, in this place where he has raised Lazarus from the dead. So where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Verse 2, here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. There are a few people we want to look at here today. Four, really. We want to look at Martha, Mary, Judas, and Lazarus. And in it, we see a story and a picture of Jesus in relationship. One of the things I love about the book of John, not only do we see who Jesus is, and that we see by believing in him, we may have life, right? By believing and trusting in Jesus, we may have life life to the fullest. We may have eternal life, but we also see Jesus in relationship, and we begin to understand who this God is, that our God is a relational God, that our God seeks to have a relationship with us. This is our God. Our God has sent us Jesus, that we could be in relationship with him, and what we see in the book of John is we see Jesus in relationship Right? We see Jesus with the woman at the well. We see Jesus with Nicodemus. We see Jesus with his disciples. We see Jesus with Mary and Martha. Jesus, a relational God. That's what I love, is that we don't serve and follow a God that is far off. We serve and we follow a God that wants a relationship with us. Isn't that awesome? He seeks to be in relationship with us. And this picture that we get from the Gospel of John is Jesus wanting us to know him, to believe in him, and by believing, 
have life, but also that he is relational. And we see it throughout the Gospel of John. And we get another picture of it here in John chapter 12, in the story of Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And I want to look at three different individuals key and then take a look at Judas as well. But in Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, we see a picture from each of how we should worship Jesus. Each of us, in their own, in their own way, show us a picture of how we should worship Jesus. So let's take a look at it. The first one in verse 2, chapter 12, verse 2, it says this. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor, and Martha served. I like this. I like this picture of Martha. Martha reminds me of my grandma, Margaret. My grandma was one who was always having people in her house, wasn't she, Grandpa? All the time, people in their house. If we had, if there were missionaries in town, they were over. Sunday dinner, we were going to grandma's, and grandma was in the kitchen working, right, with her hands, continually working with her hands, inviting people over, and I get this picture from Martha as this type of individual, one who has the gift of hospitality, one who has the gift of service, continually having people into her home, continually serving these, these people. She was using her hands as an act of service for Jesus. And I love this because this is a picture of really how we should be. Now, some of us are gifted that way, right? God has gifted us. We talked a few weeks ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 how God has given us each a gift. As people who follow Jesus and are in relationship with Jesus, who have been given the Spirit, we have been given a gift. And all of us need to use that gift for the betterment of the kingdom, for the betterment of this church, right? We are going to be better if we are all using our gifts. And some of us in this room have the gift of service. We're like Martha, that we want to be using our hands. We feel God is using us most when we're using our hands. We are feeling like we have our, having the greatest impact on the kingdom when we are using our hands. When I was the youth pastor, I had two individuals that showed up. We used to meet at Crown Point in Johnston. And we would get there early, I, I, probably 6 o'clock every week, and there would be two individuals that would show up every week. Simon Carl, John Collier, they'd be there week in, week out. They would help us set up. They would help us tear down. Set up, tear down. God has gifted each one of those and given them the gift of service, right? And when they are using their hands and acting like this in service, that's where they're used. That's where they're having the greatest impact on the church and on the kingdom of God. Now, you try to stick those people up and maybe speak or do some other things. That's not their gift, right? That's not where God is going to use them most. God has gifted them in the acts of service. Now, for someone like me, who's probably not gifted that way, and maybe it's that I've never, you know, like my dad, who's never picked up a hammer in his life, or, or things like that. We're, we're not gifted so much with our hands, but it doesn't mean we don't serve, right? It doesn't mean if there's chairs to be picked up, we don't pick them up, or something's to be torn down, we don't tear it down. We are to use our gifts. We are to act uh, be involved in service. We're going to have a ministry fair here next week, right? Nick was just talking about it, August 11th, next Sunday. would encourage you all to be here, all to get involved, all to find a way to use the gift in which God has given you. God has gifted. If you have put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus, God has gifted you. He has given you a gift to use for the church. And we want to encourage and challenge you next week, Find a way you can get plugged in. 
Find a way you can begin to use your gifts, act of service for the church. Because the kingdom is going to be better for it, and this church is going to be better for it. We're going to have a greater impact if each and every one of us knows our gift and is using our gifts. So we want to challenge you and encourage you. Find ways to get plugged into church and begin to use your gifts. So here is Martha. And the story of Martha, she gives us, gives us a great picture of using our hands, using this act of service to serve Jesus, right? We see it in Luke chapter 10 as well, similar story, it's different. Martha, Mary, back at the house, and Martha's in the kitchen. She's getting the meal ready, she's preparing everything, and Mary is with Jesus. So it's great to use our gifts, but we're also reminded in the story of Luke chapter 10 that there's probably something greater than even going out and serving. It continues on. This is my spiritual gift. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining. I like that one. Reminds me of my grandma's house. Grandma in the kitchen, the rest of us reclining out, watching football on Sunday. I think, right, that this is how God ordained it. God has ordained us as men to be reclining, eating, watching football, okay? If there's ever in question, let's just go to John chapter 10 as our basis for that. Here is Lazarus, and Lazarus is kind of that strong, silent type. Lazarus shows up a couple times, John chapter 11, Jesus raises him from the dead. We see him here again in John chapter 12, but we never hear a word from Lazarus. Nowhere is there a recorded word from Lazarus. So Lazarus reclining, obviously I'm kidding about the spiritual gift there, but Lazarus reclining with Jesus at the table. And we'll get back to Lazarus here in a second. We'll, we'll see how Lazarus uses uh, what God has given him as an act of worship uh, for him. Verse 3, Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. I love this. This, to me, is one of the greatest acts of worship we see in all the Bible. Here is Mary. And where is Mary? At the feet of Jesus. Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, shows up three times. Three times that we can tell in the New Testament. And one thing we see about Mary every time, she is at the feet of Jesus. And Mary, to me, is one of the greatest pictures in all of the Bible, maybe throughout all of history, of what it is to be a worshiper of Jesus. Here, she shows up. First, in Luke chapter 10, we talked about it, the story of Mary and Martha. Mary in the kitchen, using her hands, serving, and Martha gets on. Hey, Jesus, you know what? Mary's just sitting there. She's not doing anything. She needs to come in here and help me. What does Jesus say to her? No, she's doing what is best. She is sitting at my feet. She is communing with me. She is learning with me. She is being with me. And while acts of service and using our hands, God has called us to do that. God has called us to use our gifts. But here is the best act of worship, to sit at the feet of Jesus, to commune with Jesus, to learn from Jesus. And we get this picture from Mary of what it is, maybe the greatest act of worship we can see, is simply to be with Jesus. And every time we see Mary in the New Testament, this is where she's at, at the feet of Jesus, 
Luke 10, the story of Mary and Martha, where she at? Sitting, listening to Jesus at his feet. John chapter 11, the story of Lazarus. Mary has not come out to meet Jesus. Remember, Lazarus is dead. Mary's back at the house, and Jesus says, where's Mary? Go get Mary. Mary shows up broken and in tears and falls at the feet of Jesus. There she is at the feet of Jesus. And then here again in John chapter 12, where do we see Mary? At the feet of Jesus. And Mary gives us maybe the greatest picture of what it is to worship Jesus. Is it awesome and great that we can use our gifts for the kingdom? Absolutely. That we can do as Martha did, hospitality, acts of service, those type of things. Use it for the kingdom. Use it for the church. Absolutely. But what is best? What is best? Mary shows us what is best, to worship Jesus and to be at his feet. To be at his feet, to listen to Jesus, to learn from Jesus, to spend time with Jesus. There is no greater thing than simply being with Jesus. It is the greatest act of worship that you can do. And to me, Mary paints probably the greatest picture of a worshiper in all the Bible, to simply be with Jesus. And so we get this picture from Mary of what it is to be a worshiper. Do we need to use our gifts? Absolutely. Do we need to serve in the church? Absolutely. But what is most important? To be with Jesus, to be at his feet, to commune with Jesus. See, I can go out and I can serve all day long, but where am I going to have the greatest impact? Where am I going to impact my marriage? Where am I going to impact the church? Where am I going to impact my family and friends? It's going to be when I have been with Jesus. Because when I'm with Jesus and when I'm spending time with him, I'm going to learn how he wants me to live. I'm going to learn how he wants me to follow him. I'm going to begin to look more like Jesus. We want to serve. We want to use our gifts. We want to do all these things. But most importantly, be with Jesus. I can have a greater impact on my kids, my wife, my church, my family, my friends, if I'm simply being with Jesus. So Mary gives us that picture of being and worshiping Jesus. So Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. Now this pure nard, it was something used to anoint kings. Okay, this wasn't an ordinary perfume, and I I don't wear that cologne or perfume anymore. Last stuff I had was Tommy Hilfiger. They still make that stuff? Maybe. That was the last perfume I had, or whatever, not perfume, cologne. So I'm not all that familiar, but this is an expensive jar of perfume. This was used to anoint kings, right? This wasn't an everyday squirt it twice on your neck or wrist or wherever you do. This was something used when you were anointing a king. I think Mary kind of understood who Jesus was, right? He probably understood that Jesus was the king. Probably understood this. Mary gives us a picture of that. This is an expensive thing that she's done, and we're going to see just how expensive it was here in a minute. But then we get the picture of this act that Mary does. See, if it's anything like the story in Matthew and Mark, and there's some discussion whether this is the same story or a different story, in Matthew and Mark, Mary anoints Jesus with this perfume on his head. Now, what I picture happening is simply her anointing this perfume 
on his head, and it kind of flows over his body, through his beard, probably onto his feet. And this is kind of the picture that I get. And this fragrance begins to fill the room. And this perfume begins to maybe drip through his, his, his beard and, and onto his feet, and that's where Mary's at, right? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. And then Mary, what does she do? It says she takes her hair and she begins to clean the feet of Jesus. Now, in studying this week, kind of learned some things that in, in those days, and still today, a, a woman's glory is her hair, right? Paul says that in 1 Corinthians. A woman's glory is her hair. Well, in those days, they would leave their hair up. You know, as a child, you kind of let it flow wherever. But as they reach adulthood, they would leave their hair up. And the only time they would put it down is when they would get married. And being with their husband for the first time is when they would let the hair down. And here is Mary, right? Letting her hair down and beginning to clean and wipe the feet of Jesus. What a picture. What a picture. Mary, this act of worship, she doesn't care what anybody thinks, right? Doesn't care about anything but Jesus. And she is at his feet, cleaning his feet with her hair. Now, Often in those days, the, the lowest person in the household, whether it be a slave or just the lowest person in the household, would be responsible for cleaning feet. Now, I got some nasty feet, but I remember being out in Arizona on a missions trip. If you've ever been to a manual mission, it's all dirt. You know, dirt flying all day. And if, if you would walk around that place with sandals, that dirt would be caked on your feet in between your toes. And that's kind of how it was in Jesus' day, right? We're not talking about paved roads. They're all open sandal type shoes, you know. So that, there is sand, there is dirt, there is nastiness in this feet. And so the lowest person in the household would typically come along and clean each individual's feet. And here is Mary taking the position of a servant, sitting at the feet of Jesus, cleaning his feet. What a picture. What an act of worship that Mary shows us here. Humbly, like a servant, at his feet, just being with Jesus. Well, it's a cool picture. It's an awesome story, but it doesn't end there. Verse 4, but, right? Something great has happened. We see this incredible act of worship, but, but. But one of his disciples, Judas, shows up. Judas, who was later put to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Now, if you look at a guy like Judas, he's following Jesus, he's involved in ministry, and then there's Mary, who's let her hair down at the feet of Jesus, acting all crazy and wild. From an external point of view, from a worldly point of view, you could look at these two and say, here is a man of God, Judas, right? He wants to give money to the poor. He wants to give money to the poor. And here's Mary wasting things, sitting at Jesus' feet, doing nothing. And so from an external point, from a worldly point of view, man, you would think that Judas is a guy that loves God, that's following God, and it's Mary that is not. But this story unfolds, and this story begins to tell us a little more about Judas. It says, why wasn't this perfume sold and money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Isn't that incredible? A year's wages. 
Don't look past that. This is the offering that Mary had given Jesus. Mary, this incredible gift to Jesus, a year's wages. Now, I looked up in Iowa, the median income in the state of Iowa is $40,000. Okay, so get this picture of a year's wages. This is the gift that Mary has given to Jesus. Isn't that incredible? $40,000. We should have waited to take the building offering until I was able to speak this week. $40,000, a year wages. What a gift that Mary has given to Jesus. Throws it all out, anointing him as a king. $40,000. And then there's Judas, right? He betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Well, today's wages, about $13,000. So there's Mary, a year's wages, a gift anointing Jesus. And then there's Judas, betraying Jesus for a third of a year's salary. So the contrast between the two. Why is he giving it to the poor? A year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used it to help himself to what was put in there. Two things I want to say about Jesus. We understand that as we look at, the, at Jesus and when he acts with, interacts with people, we see love, we see compassion, we see mercy. With people like Mary, with people that know they are lost, with people that know they need Jesus. This is how he reacts, with love and compassion and mercy. But with people who think they've got it all together, with people like the Pharisees and people like Judas, he doesn't act like that at all, does he? See, oftentimes, people who know they are lost, Jesus is attracted to them. Jesus wants to reveal himself to them. He wants them to know how they can be saved, how their life can be changed and transformed. But with people who have it all together, man, Jesus wants nothing to do with them. With the religious type, Jesus wants nothing to do with them. Those that think they've got it are oftentimes the farthest away that they can be. And here's the story of Judas, this religious type individual. And kind of a warning for me and for all of us is that oftentimes our areas of greatest strength are the areas where we fail the most. You look throughout the Bible and you see stories like that of Solomon. Solomon was wise, right? He had wisdom beyond like any man had ever li- have ever lived. And yet his downfall was his wisdom. You look at a guy like David. David had passion, right? He had a passion for the Lord. And yet his downfall, adultery and murder. Peter, one of the most bold men we see, and yet his downfall, he denied Jesus three times. And oftentimes our greatest strength can be that area where the enemy attacks us. Judas, what was his greatest strength? Man, the books. He was a treasurer, whatever. That was his gift. That was his talent. And yet we see that was his downfall. We also see that in Judas, I don't think we see a guy that had turned, was good and turned bad. I think we see an individual, you know, there are guys like David. David was a man after God's own heart who made a mistake and yet repented and returned to the Lord. We see a guy like Peter who denied Jesus three times yet is restored later on. 
That's not the case with Judas. I think the case with Judas is not a guy, a good guy who turned bad, but a guy who had been doing in the secret, he was now doing out in the air, in public. See, here's a guy who his life was probably consistent of it. It told us that he was taking money. And then eventually, what's he do? It was money. He turns over Jesus. The private has become public. And so oftentimes, we see this with people, right? Once what they had done in private, now they're doing out in the air. And here it is with Judas, a guy who had been following Jesus, been maybe just tagging along because he thought Jesus was going to do some great things and establish his kingdom now, but Judas was in it for himself. So it's not a story of a guy who was good that turned bad, but here's a story of a guy, once doing in private, now made public. So that's the story of Judas. It continues on, and listen to Judas or uh, Jesus' response to him. Remember how Jesus deals with the religious type. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she would save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Jesus rebukes Judas. Say, leave her alone. In fact, this story of what Mary is doing is one of the greatest acts of worship. And if you read in Matthew and Mark, it says as long as the gospel is preached, this story is going to be told. And here we are some 2,000 years later talking about this story of Mary, about this act of worship that Mary has done. What an incredible thing. It says, leave her alone. She's doing what is best. She is worshiping me. She is sitting at my feet. She is communing with me. She is doing what is best. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. I think this is kind of a promise. See, if some politician comes along and tells you everything's going to be good, they're going to take care of the poor, that's not the case. Jesus says we're always going to have the poor, and it doesn't mean we don't serve the poor. It doesn't mean we don't give to the poor, but the reality is they are always going to be there. Jesus is telling him, I'm not. And we know the last week of Jesus, Jesus is going to the cross. And a challenge and reminder for us, when we have opportunities to serve, when we have opportunities to do something great for the kingdom, man, do it. If God gives you an opportunity to serve, if God gives you an opportunity to help, take a hold of that opportunity. Listen to the Spirit and respond to the Spirit. Not always have the poor, or not always have me, you will always have the poor. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So we've seen Martha, right, serving with her hands, using her gifts, her talents to serve Jesus. We see Mary, who has done what is best, simply worshiping Jesus, simply sitting at his feet. And then we see Lazarus who gives us another great picture of an act of worship for Jesus. Using our gifts, using our talents like Martha, sitting, communing with Jesus, being with Jesus, nothing greater than just simply being with Jesus like Mary. And then there's Lazarus. We don't hear a word from Lazarus, but listen to the last verse I'm going to share with you. Verse 11, For on account of him, talking about Lazarus, Many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. 
many of the Jews were putting their faith in Jesus on the account of the story of Lazarus. One of the greatest things we can do when a great act of worship we can do is to simply tell our story like Lazarus. Lazarus simply telling the story of how he was once dead and now made alive. And this is what God has done in us. Through Jesus, we were once dead and now made alive. In John chapter 3, he's talking to Nicodemus. He tells Nicodemus, hey, we were all born physically, right? And we're all going to die physically. Well, we were all spiritually born dead. And you must be born again to be made alive, to have this new, full, abundant life, to have this eternal life. And the story of Lazarus is simply him telling how Jesus, how he was once dead, and Jesus made him alive. An act of worship for us that we see in the life of Lazarus is to tell how we were once dead and made alive in Jesus. This is our calling. This is this mission that we've talked about, leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus like Lazarus, sharing our story, how we were once dead and now made alive. Three key figures in there. Martha, using her gifts and serving. Mary, doing the greatest thing we can see and worship Jesus to simply sit at his feet. And Lazarus, sharing his story of what Jesus had done, how he was once dead and made alive. And it tells us in verse 11 that many came and started following Jesus on account of this story. The band is going to come back up here, and we're going to have an opportunity to continue to worship Jesus, to continue to remember Jesus. The bread and the juice are up here. The bread to remind us of his body that was broken, and the juice to remind us of his blood that was shed. And it comes back to this verse in John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, These things were written so that you may believe. They were written so you may believe. And by believing, you may have life in his name. This is what God has done for us in giving us his son, Jesus. By believing in Jesus, you may have life. Full life, abundant life, eternal life. And this morning as we continue to worship and we remember Jesus... That's why the bread and the juice are up here, to remind us of who Jesus is and what he has done. And if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have that relationship with Jesus, I invite you that you can have that. Even today, you can have that relationship. That you may believe, may put your hope and your faith in Jesus, and by believing, may have life in his name. This is what Jesus offers us. And we could be like Lazarus and tell the story of how I once was dead, but now I'm alive. We want to be like Martha and using our gifts to serve in the church, to serve his kingdom. But ultimately, we want to be like Mary. And even this morning, we want to be like Mary, who showed us the greatest thing is to simply sit at the feet of Jesus, is to simply spend time with Jesus, to simply commune and be with Jesus. If there's one thing I can encourage you and leave you with this morning, this is the greatest thing. 
be with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Sit at the feet of Jesus. The tables are up here and in the back, and we invite you to come up and partake in the communion, to remember his body that was broken and his blood that was shed, to sit at the feet of Jesus, to thank Jesus for what he has done for us so that we may believe, and by believing, we may have life in his name. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that by believing and knowing him, we can have life, eternal life, abundant life. And so this morning, we want to worship Jesus. We want to commune with Jesus. We simply want to sit at his feet to thank him for who he is, for being our king, for being our savior, for dying and raising again to conquer death, sin, and hell for me, for us. So we thank you for Jesus. It's his name we pray. Amen. We want to thank you for coming. We want to encourage you as you think about these three individuals, like Lazarus, to share our story of how we were once dead and made alive. Like Martha, and next week to have the opportunity to, to figure out where we can plug in and use our gifts. And ultimately, like Mary, one of the greatest things we can do in our act, greatest act of worship is just to be with Jesus, to sit at his feet. And if there's one thing I would encourage and challenge you to do this week, spend time with him, get to know him, listen to him, read his word and how we should respond to him and how we should live our lives, but just to be with him. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this story, the story of people who worshiped you, the story of people using their gifts to serve you, of telling their story of how they were dead and made alive and the story of Mary, just simply sitting at your feet, communing with you, worshiping you. God, encourage us just to be with you, to spend time with you, to learn about Jesus, to commune with him, and to sit at his feet. We pray it and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming.